0: Content warning! Mental health, murder, cannibalism, rape, and harm to dogs. Action! Excitement! Horror romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying canoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? future of luxury living has come to England. The high-rise complex provides an oasis of comfort and privacy in the heart of the city. The new modern lifestyle of the 20th century has finally arrived, and you too can be a part of it. With its supermarket, pools, bank, school, and all the other amenities, why would you ever leave? Instead, make yourself part of a new, intriguing societal structure that's forming within the high-rise. Participate in the class tensions developing between the lower, middle, and upper floors. Try to climb all the way to the penthouse where the architect Anthony Royal lives. Join in the murder, rape, incest, and cannibalism becoming more and more frequent as the building descends into chaos. High-rise living is the new normal, so call today to make a space for yourself in the world that's coming. Pets welcome. Hi, I'm Adam Prosser. With me is Philip Rice... And uh, also joining us today is our friend and special guest, Zach Handlin. Hello. Hi, Zach. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hello. Yes, well, great to have you on. Uh, Zach's a novelist, and he's written a book and TV reviews for the AV Club. Um, Anything else, uh, Zach, in your CV we should know about?
1: Uh, I've got a a Patreon. Um, Right now it's basically just for doing uh, Star Trek Voyager reviews, but hopefully I I tend (laughs) to expand it in the future. So if you do a Google search for my name, you should be able to find that fairly readily. Yeah, yeah, we'll put up the link uh, in the uh, the Whoa, webpage. Yeah, you can plug that again at the end. Fancy,
0: fancy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, we have a, <laughs> we have a, we have a little space for, uh, for links and stuff, uh, so we'll put that in there. Uh, anyway, uh, good to have you here. We're, today uh, we're looking at a genuinely well-regarded classic, although perhaps not known to the populace at large, but it is pretty well-known in literary circles. Uh, it's transcended the genre label. It's one of these. Uh, it's J.G. Ballard's High Rise. Uh, written in 1975, the book portrays a then-futuristic luxury apartment complex that descends quickly into horror and madness as its residents are driven insane. Um, it's told partly from the point of view of Robert Lang, who is the uh, young doctor who occupies one of the middle, uh, middle ranks, and um, also partly from uh, the viewpoint of Richard Wilder, who is a documentary filmmaker who lives on the lower floors of the tower. And, uh, it's, uh, right away you can probably see there that, uh, class structures are part of the novel. Um, but it's very, uh, it's, it's actually very interesting. I, I've actually read this like about a year ago and I kind of skimmed it uh, to catch up for this. And then there was also a movie made about three years ago, uh, by Ben Wheatley. Um, uh, Phil, you said you watched the movie, correct? Yep. Uh, Zach, have you haven't just seen the movie by any chance? Yeah, I've seen.
1: I know I've watched like the first hour of it. Um, I okay. it, but I, I the we'll we'll probably talk about this later. But the thing about Ballard uh, is writing in general, and I think the thing a movie kind of captured is that it's can be really fascinating, but it's also never. I really really feel this like sense of urgency, so I sort of wandered away from it and never got back to it, even though I've been meaning to finish it.
0: So I seen Yeah, it. no, it's. It, I absolutely agree. Ballard is a very uh, clinical uh, detached writer. He doesn't, uh, grab, put his hooks in you and grab you in. He's very, um, he's very, uh, yeah, detached, I guess is the word. Um, yeah, it even
2: starts off with just a casual mention that Lang just ate a dog.
0: Yeah, exactly. Literally (laughs) the first, uh, lines of the book are, uh, Later, as he sat on his balcony eating the dog, Dr. Robert Lang reflected on the unusual events that had taken place within this huge apartment building during the previous three months. Now that everything had returned to normal, he was surprised that there had been no obvious beginning, no point beyond which their lives had moved to a clearly more sinister dimension. With its 40 floors and 1,000 apartments, its supermarket and swimming pools, bank and junior school, all in effect abandoned in the sky, the high-rise offered more than enough opportunities for violence and confrontation, which... Uh, Lang is portraying as a good thing here. Yeah. And I mean, so he's essentially beginning right at the end of the book. So even <laughs> even if there's any sort of urgency that would come from the slow devolution of the society, it's kind of been, it's kind of been summarized right at the beginning anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. You're very, you're very correct in that he's, he's, he doesn't make you, you know, relate to the characters or be pulled along with this, with the, uh, by the story. He just sort of flatly presents the events as if it was completely sane, which it isn't. Right. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, um, so uh, basically, I guess we should go over the, the basic plot of the story. Right. Um, it's, um, uh, we've seen this copied in a lot of movies and stuff since then, but uh, I guess this is the first of its kind. Um, well, maybe yeah. not the first, because there's also like, there's,
0: well, Lord of the Flies. Yeah, the yeah. I was about to say Lord of this. the Flies. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: But uh, the first of the this sort of class structure is represented in a close structure. We've seen it in like Snowpiercer recently, and uh, and other things. But uh, it's a it's a luxury high rise apartment. Um, everybody in it is fairly well off, but some are more well off than others. Mm-hmm. So uh, inevitable class structure gets set up and uh, clans start breaking out where they're, you know, like, us versus them sort of thing, the lower floors versus the upper floors and the middle floors, and uh, right.
0: eventually... And we, should make it, yeah. we should make it clear that it all just starts to happen for no readily explicable reason. Like, people just start to devolve. Um, he says right at the beginning, Lang does... Uh, That he, uh, you know, he basically moved in specifically because he was going through a bad divorce and he wanted to get away from people. Uh, And that he's literally moving into an apartment building full of people, but they all uh, exist in isolation to each other, even in this uh, crowded building full of people.
2: Uh, Yeah, it's interesting because in a lot of the the imitators, uh, it's literally a closed off structure, like the Snowpiercer, they're all trapped on the train and they can't get out because they'll freeze to death. But in this case, they can leave, they just psychologically can't. It's not really explained, but it's a weird feeling well, I they think, need to see this through.
1: I mean, I think that's, I think that's actually... Um, we'll, we'll probably talk about it later when we get to the short story that, that you sent me, Adam, but um, I think one of the key points that, that Ballard is going for is that on some level all of these people want this to happen. It's not a thing... Um, it, like in a more traditional suspense novel, you would see the degradation of characters, these people who we've come to like or admire or don't normally behave decently, so to start to watch themselves crumble under all these pressures and start doing these horrible things. Where in this case, it's just like, we want to be like this. They can all leave. Like, that's, that's stressed over and over and over again. There's a secret. Multiple sequences where, like, one of the characters, Wilder, um, literally just who has a very horrible fate. Literally, like, he keeps going to work, coming back, going to work, coming back. It's 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 one of the things that makes it while less suspenseful, um, really, really interesting from like an anthropological sense of like these are this is the, sort of the condition that people people start to define themselves by their position in the building, and that becomes more important to them than exists in the outside world. Which in turn, it it doesn't the we don't see enough of the outside world for it to really for us to make much statements about it, but it does seem sort of like he's calling into question, if it's like this in the high-rise, what is happening outside the world that would drive people to behave like this inside?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, at one point, literally, uh, the police come to the building, uh, but it doesn't stop anything from happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that cause people... Uh, yeah, yeah, because
0: they, uh, people go out and say, you know, everything's
2: fine, it's okay. Right, There's a bit right. of garbage, but that's fine.
1: yeah there's there's a he does do there's like a modest escalation cuz i was talking about this with my um my fiance fiance, fiance fiance Caroline um and she'd read the book before and she liked it but she said one of the things she didn't particularly enjoy about it was that it felt like it just got to a certain level and just stayed there and and there is a there is an escalation there are certain like moments that feel like okay this is dramatic and one of those moments is the first death which is a jeweler who falls out from the 40th floor and we never find out what happened to him was it suicide or was he murdered or what um but yeah there's what the, once, once things get to a certain point they just stay there and then gradually things get worse and worse and worse um but it's also just again
2: uh, another one is the death of a uh dog drowned in a swimming pool
0: yeah that that's, turns out yeah. to be wilder yeah, uh, yeah dogs getting killed is kind of a horrible motif in this book oh no
1: I just uh it just feels like it's a it's the sort of book where there's l- almost no suspense in terms of you never hope the characters escape you're never rooting for anyone to like come to their senses because you know they won't it's more like just a slow fascination of seeing how far they can degrade themselves and with like and and i I really admire how clinically and how completely he goes into the the sort of mindset without giving you anything to hand like there's no like handholding moment of saying by the way this is really bad like it, it there are a couple of shocking moments where it sort of like hits you just how horrifying all this is but ballard never never pushes that in your face so much as just keeps ha- keeps sort of charting all the awful things that keep happening and lets you sort of it like it very much lets you sort of draw your own conclusions, which is, um, it, again, it makes for less initially compelling reading, but it does make for something that really lingers and is kind of deeply unsettling.
0: Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about this is that there's nothing explicitly science fictional or fantastical about it. Um, but there is the strong implication throughout the book that the architecture itself is driving everyone insane or changing them mentally and putting them in this state where this, uh, state of chaos and, and, and horror is something they aspire to and something they can relate to. And, and, you know, that is something Ballard was really interested in was uh, architecture itself. He liked, uh, you know, he was fascinated by urban spaces and human constructed spaces and, and architecture in a lot of his other stories, um, and uh, I think the the thing people picked up on for this a lot was again just the idea that Royal has built a building that that makes people go
1: insane, essentially. Yeah, there there's um there's actually a bit earlier the first I think it's the first chapter we get from Anthony Royal's perspective because he's the he's the third one we see the book through. Um, and I- I think it's the first one because there's a bit where it seems like he and his young wife are going to leave and of course they don't. Um, but they're all packing to leave and then something shifts and they decide to stay. But even after he, there's this bit where he, like, you, okay, he decides he's very satisfied that he's going to stay and then, like, three paragraphs or late four paragraphs later, he's thinking about what's going to happen when they go and they still consider, like, still completely committed to staying. It's like, it's very, it's really cool. <laughs> um, one, yeah, one, one thing about
0: the book, I mean, when you're reading it now in 2019, you can't Escape the degree to which uh, it obviously syncs up with our concerns about capitalism and and uh, the class system, class structure, and of course this is a British novel, uh, so you know class hierarchy is very foregrounded. Um, and yet, I almost feel as though Ballard didn't uh, think of it as something that was. Um, at the forefront of the novel because it was almost something he he was just taking for granted in the society in which they lived. He was more talking about, uh, you know, here's what Britain is turning into, essentially. And um and that theme of, well, there's no escaping. There's no there's no other way of doing things. This is just how things are. Uh, you know, that syncs up with, you know, the criticisms of capitalism and uh just the idea that um, capitalism works to make you believe it's the only way you can do things, and it's it's the natural state of affairs. So you don't even think to question it, uh, except maybe if you're you know one of the real bigwigs running the show.
2: Uh, yeah, the movie gets explicit with that at the very end. There's a quote from Margaret Thatcher about um, uh, capitalism being the only system.
0: Yeah, the movie is uh, clever about using Thatcher. Uh, At the time the book was written, Thatcher had, I think, literally just been elected uh, leader of the Conservative Party. Uh, So, you know, Ballard wouldn't necessarily have known to make a big deal of her. Uh, But she did famously say, uh, you know, there's no such thing as society. Uh, I think that's definitely why she's being cited here. And of course, Thatcherism in the 80s is kind of, uh, you know, seen as in some ways peak capitalism
2: there's also the idea that the um what's happening in the building is an exaggerated form of of the struggles that happen outside under capitalism the idea of constantly trying to win over other people and such and uh again they could easily just leave but they don't cuz this is this is the only thing they care about at this point
0: yeah and it is um about that but it's also about just the idea of architecture as a psychic space And the idea that we're building this futuristic uh, world and, you know, what we create is going to reflect back on us uh, that it is, you know, our creation and it's, but it also shapes how we see the world and how we think of things. And then we sort of cut ourselves off from, uh, you know, any previous way of doing things. You know, there's the Marxist uh, concept of... uh, You know the the commonly used phrase alienation, but in the Marxist concept as well, uh, alienation being like we're we're separated from you know how we create our own food and how or how food is created, how you know things are constructed. Uh, It just sort of comes to us, and we 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 we're detached from that uh, from from that form of uh, from that system of creation. Uh, and that could lead us into strange psychic places. And I think that's something that's being emphasized uh, through the, archi- again, through the architecture. That was sort of the the big takeaway in uh, the original, when the book was published, just that the architecture architecture as something that can mess oh, with yeah. our minds. No,
1: no, no. I, I think it's very, I think the architecture is very important to the book. I think it's it's sort of like the idea that basically this, they use this space to define themselves. There's, um... There's this, and there's also in terms of the the capitalist structure, like it's it just just in the way that, that the building is structured, you have the richest people on the top and the poorest, pe- like the the lowest people on the bottom, and the, there's that middle class that like keeps as a buffer. Like it's so explicit, it borders on um, almost too obvious. Like oh, the, the, like the, I mean the 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 head, the the most pro- the, the uh, for a while the most powerful guy in the building is less last, last name is royal. And and the, the the angry like the documentarian his last name is Wilder. Um it's it's not right. subtle, but the, but it, it just all works so neatly and there's a, a reinforcing the a reinforcing sense throughout the book that the characters in it on some level even recognize they they embrace the metaphor intentionally. Like there's a sense that they are they are um Ballard gives us I don't know if I would say it's self aware, but it's a sense of uh of this is the purpose that they have chosen for themselves. They put themselves into this space, and now that they have this space, they are going to define it in the specific way that gives them this meaning and the sense of these constant rating parties. Make no sense. Like it, there is nothing. You, it is like. There is nothing on the top floors that means more than anything on the bottom floors, except for possibly view. There are multiple right. floors that have uh, swimming pools that get slowly destroyed. Um, there, there are food courts, there are malls. Everything is self should be self sustaining on every level, but because they are looking for that purpose, they create this sense that the top floor means more, and so the people on the top floor naturally become the aristocrats, and they become to right. from everything. Even as everything still collapses around themselves, there are these great scenes later in the book um, where royal. Is still like lord, lording over his little his little harem, and he has this, um, and ever and like people, they have these wonderful dinner parties where they uh, they all dress up and they eat this, they eat at these, these these lavishly set up tables, but the meat is almost almost certainly pets, which is fascinating and horrifying, and the <laughs> um, and there's like garbage strewed all the way through, all the through the halls. Right the, the it's like one of the the more visceral parts of the book um, apart from violence is that the constant reminder of these people are literally living in their own filth and yeah they take comfort in that that there's that feeling of being it's just that complete insulation and I yeah I think the architecture is, is a very important part of that and I think I think the only reason this is really called science fiction is I think Ballard in the for the few of his books that I've actually read um, I think he chooses to write in that genre space, not because he wants to go with those usual tropes or, or really explore the tropes themselves, but he wants to use that space as basically like, we don't need to pretend this is really realistic. Um, we don't. Yeah. Need, you don't need to ever sit back and go, wait, there's no way this building could be like that. Like Surely this blah, 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 this wouldn't work or blah, blah, blah. Um, it's more like just saying, just just embrace this. This is how the story works and just go along with it. Yeah,
0: it's it's. I mean, on one level, you could see it. I think as purely an allegorical novel, like uh, you know, Animal Farm or something, where it's it's not <laughs> it's not even meant to at, at all reflect reality. It's just you know, hey, they're all avatars of aspects of society, basically. Um, the, yeah, you know, say a uh,
2: Wilder. Um, his goal in the book is to get to the top floor, and um, he goes up step by step, slowly taking over areas. So he's like a social climber. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, of
0: course, he gets to the top and he, and he ends up uh, shooting Royal. Um, that's sort of his, his... I don't know if he... I can't remember if he actually states that was his goal from the beginning, but he kind of wants to get at Royal and, and take him down. Uh, which uh, he does. Yeah, and he
2: gets killed by Royal's wife and
0: a right. bunch of other women. <laughs> yeah. 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 Somebody compared that to the main eds of of Greek mythology, kind of what happens. And that, in fact, by the end, it's sort of implied that the top levels were taken over by the women, that it becomes kind yeah, of a yeah. weird matriarchy. I, I
2: got the scent of a weird uh, sort of goddess cult.
0: Right. Yeah, that's what... The, just the upper lores. And and Lang is one of the few uh, men left in the building, and they he talks about in the last chapter how they'd broken in and seen him there, and it seemed like he was the prisoner of the two women that he's now living with at that point. Which, because we're seeing it from Lang's point of view, you kind of wonder if you Know the way Lang's describing everything, and he's you know, he seems to have gone insane. Um, you, you you feel like he's saying, Well, people might looking in think that they were controlling me, but I'm actually controlling them. But then you go, Well, wait a minute, is he completely wrong about that? Is he being controlled? And he's talking about he's start, gonna start giving them morphine and that'll make make him able to control them and so on. Uh, but but there, yeah, there's sort of a sensibility that. The women have taken over the building and there's only a few men left in the building and they're kind of under their control basically as servants as it were um, i did want to mention that of course this was all somewhat inspired by reality uh in the 60s and 70s as cities grew more crowded and and uh, there was a big push towards modernization in great britain um there was this idea they called quote streets in the sky uh, which is essentially what we're seeing portrayed in the book. The idea that, you know, instead of a city block, you'd have a, a residence building. This probably also inspired stuff like the, the mega blocks that they have in the Judge Dredd comics where everyone's sort of like you have an entire city as a giant uh, building, essentially. Um, the idea, it, again, you'd provide housing, but you'd also have shops and amenities and things in the building. Um, and it was laid out ar- along a wide outdoor terrace uh, that would so again. It would feel like you'd go out your front door and you'd see your neighbors and stuff. So it would be a little more residential than a modern apartment building where everything's indoors. Um, and this was realized in something called the Home Crescent Tower in Manchester. Uh, which was, well, I mean, there were a number of attempts at it, but this was the notorious one uh, because it was plagued by design problems and it was declared unfit for family living just two years after it was finished, uh, partly because a small child fell from the badly designed balconies, which might be what inspired the image of the jeweler falling off the balcony in this book. Um, but Ballard apparently did specifically tie it to that. And the idea that, oh, well, we're going to build this great, uh, you know, city in the sky, street in the sky, but we were doing a terrible job of it, essentially. <laughs> um, and those were yeah, low part income. part of,
2: uh, part of the things that starts the escalation is the building malfunctioning, the elevators right. and the lights. And...
0: Yes. That's, that's and, 100% uh, at the end, something.
2: Uh, oh, sorry. At the end, uh, the last thing that lit, uh. Lang notes uh he looks out at the other buildings that are starting to flicker and he he right. wants to welcome them into his new world.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it it was I mean, well again, those were all built by Royal as well. It's Royal's yeah. fault, basically. Um but but yeah, it was it was um he was taking what was happening with these low composing housing units, and at the time the idea of a luxury high-rise housing unit was apparently a bit unusual in england that wasn't something you would see a lot of it's fairly common now and in america it was already fairly common but um in england it was kind of a that's another thing that possibly marks it out as a science fiction type of novel because it might be set a few minutes into the future essentially um but that was yeah that was that was ballard looking at this and saying well you know this is a bad idea because blah 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 and then going completely over the top with it but essentially that was the idea um and uh, I, I did also, sorry, I know I'm talking a lot here, but I did also want to mention uh, Erno Goldfinger, uh, who was explicitly listed by a number of people as the basis for Anthony Royal. And yes, that is the same guy who became the basis for the James Bond villain. Um, he was a modernist architect, uh, but and a, he apparently lived in Ian Fleming's neighborhood, designed a house that was in a modernist style in a Georgian neighborhood, which uh, Fleming in typical Ian Fleming fashion thought was a, uh, thought was a big uh, eyesore. And so he made Goldfinger into a villain essentially. Uh, but you can see how that, that story kind of illustrates the clash, uh, between England and, and, and the different cast, the, the different class, uh, class classes that exist. Um,
2: yeah. Um, obviously there's a class system in America and Canada and everywhere, uh, that currently exists, but, uh, um, England is a place that sort of revels in it in a way that, like, uh, Americans and Canadians pretend that we don't have a class system in some ways. Mm-hmm. Even though we clearly yeah. do. I mean, you just look around you and you see homeless people next to limos, you know? Um, but right. uh, in England, it's it's
0: something that's more... Uh, Entrenched, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely... Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it, in, the, in many ways, this is more about... I think the future of the class system, um, or the future of England, how does it ram up against the the class system that they already have, I think. Because it is very much, we're designing the future. That's sort of the idea of the novel, right? And are we doing a good job of it? Um, I did actually want to tie into, as well, I linked uh, one story that I sent to both you guys, um, a report on an unidentified space station that Ballard wrote um, about a decade later from this book. Uh, and
1: Zach, you, I think you had some thoughts on that one you wanted to uh, talk about. Oh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a really cool short story. Uh, it's, it's a little different in that in the, in the short story, you get much more of a sense that the, that the characters, um, what little characters there are. It's literally just a narrator um, giving these reports. But you get a, get more of a sense of people kind of falling into this trap that there doesn't seem to have been a way out of. Um, and coming to worship the trap, whereas in the high-rise, part of the, the point is that everyone in there is in there willingly, and no one chooses to leave. But there's that same sense at the end of, like, coming to let a system define you. Like, coming to let... Right. Like, our, our values are molded to fit the, the well, the architecture. Our, like, one of the very explicit explicitly odd things about the, that short story is that it's basically a group, of, scientists, a group of, of astronauts who find themselves in this location that looks like a giant... Like a terminal of some sort. Um, and you get the descriptions, you get it just sounds very functional, very much like, oh, this is a place where people would sit. Um, that has like, I, I don't even know how to describe it exactly, but it's architecture that's designed as that, that, like, it, you're passing through to constantly move forward for no, no purpose. Whereas then the high rise basically establishes this, this environment where people have, because it goes up, you must want to go up. Um, and because that that has the value to it, that's what everything revolves around almost, almost immediately. There's like the constant wars about keeping the elevators and who has control over this. Like what's really, what's fascinating about it is, um, there's no practical sense at all. Like he actually cuts back on the sense of like throughout the, throughout the book, obviously food supplies are dwindling because they create this cutoff system that eventually is going to, they eventually just going to die. Yeah. That's why they constantly eat their pets. But no one mm-hmm. seems that concerned about it no one is ever thinking oh i need to fight harder to go up because that's where they have the really good food it's always mm-hmm. the status it's always about the about this need of like this is my clan i'm going to protect this space and i want to have this status as opposed to anything practical um it's, it's uh, which-
2: yeah there's a part where uh, one of the characters i can't remember if it's lang or wilder but they uh they go to the supermarket towards the end um on the 10th floor i think And um, there's obviously no food left. And uh, he asked the person who's still inexplicably working there about it. And she said, um, uh, People must have gotten supplies, or got, you know, uh, bought it all out for supplies early on. But uh, he noted that uh, nobody is really thinking, uh, you know, a day ahead, even. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's uh, uh, putting um, supplies and, you know, storing supplies in their house, in their in their own home or whatever. They're just living Mm -hmm. in the moment purely.
1: Yeah. And that's, I found that really, I found this kind of, I really enjoyed reading it, but it also uh, just, I mean, just, just considering the way the world is today, Mm, Um, I deeply, deeply unsettling. And that part of it was that sense of, of people embracing this, this sort of, this sort of destructive chaos, even when there's a, there are multiple clear avenues for escape they just there's just no sense of like that that idea of living in the moment. That idea of like we are no longer capable of planning for the future. We are regressing down to our base animal selves, and we are choosing to do this because this is what we want. This is what, on some level, we think we want. This is what we think is we're aspiring to. Because like you don't, I mean, you have animals that plan for the future. Obviously, I don't want to like kind of bring too broad a <laughs> the, the animal cases, but but this like the the conscious thought. It's like this 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 rush to erase conscious thought to to like just sort of never be practical in any any conceivable way that's that's very very horrifying it's very like it, yeah. and it just sort of sits there and there's no there's just just reading through the book and I, I mean I'm glad it's 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 a relatively short book um, which is good because I don't know if I'd want to stay with this this in this no. space for much longer than, than we than we do.
2: Yeah, yeah, towards the end, uh, Wilder stops speaking. He just communicates in grunts and yeah uh, and he, uh, noises. He hates himself. Um, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, and, and uh, it is—he's he, nothing more than his drive to get higher.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it is interesting. No, like, Zach's right. When, it, when you read it, you are thinking, like, what are they going to eat? They're not even thinking about food at all anymore. They've eaten everything. They're literally down to eating the dogs by the end, and nobody's too concerned about it. Um, and you're it right. implied cannibalism in places. Yeah, they do. No, yeah, he, he explicitly says he sees some skeletons that look like they were, you know the flesh was taken off uh, to right. eat basically.
1: Uh, just to briefly just in terms of the, the pet thing I just wanted to point out one of the few book one of the few parts of the book that actually made me feel genuine horror as opposed to just slowly suffocating dread was a bit near the end where Lang remembers um reading through a cookbook on how he's going to prepare the prepare, uh, royal's dog and royal's dog which is sitting there like, whimpering seemed to sense what was coming for it and I just that <laughs> it just it sort of snapped into focus and I'm like oh god and I just remember, yeah. despite all of the multiple, ho- multitude of horrors that are visited on all of the human characters, there's something about that image of, like, this poor defenseless creature being placed at the whims of this complete madman who thinks he's sane that just... Really, really hit hard for me. He's basically attributing the
0: dog the ability to see a, a negative future, <laughs> which the humans have lost uh, in that sense, basically. The dog's going, oh, no, he's, I'm going to be eaten, and the humans aren't even thinking anywhere as far ahead as this person is. And and it is, um, you know, it, it's hard to think that in nineteen seventy four well, you know, 1975, I guess they were, people were starting to think about things like the destruction of the natural environment and, and the way, you know, we were, we, we were you know, hurting, hurting ourselves. A, a lot of environmental type uh, stories in that era were more about, uh, it, I, one thing I noticed is that they often talk about, well, quality of life will continue. It's just that, you know, what are we losing in the natural environment? So they didn't necessarily think in terms of like, how is it going to hurt us? as a species, they just thought, um, you know, (laughs) how are we, you know, how are we going to change into this new world? Uh, but it does because it become extremely relevant. The movie silent running, which was around the same time period, Hmm. um, has a whole scene where they say, you know, you know, they're, they're, they're safeguarding the last, uh, you know, nature on earth in outer space. And somebody goes, well, but Earth's good. Everyone's got a job. And it's like, yeah, but there's no trees on Earth anymore, according to you. Um, you know, so you wonder, you know, if, if that was a a major concern that Ballard might have been thinking through, because as a metaphor for just you know human advancement, it it definitely stands out.
2: There's another similar part with the dog. Um, Wilder has trained a small dog to act as bait for for people that he would then you know take out. Um, and uh, he muses that he's planning on eating the dog after he's done.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dogs being eaten is a recurring motif in this, or being killed or eaten is a recurring motif in this book. And um, and actually, Zach was actually he's mentioning that it, it, uh, the, the 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 not thinking about the future and and the present. Uh, I think that's actually a narrative technique Ballard's going into here because, as we say, he starts at the end. Um, He kind of compresses everything into the present, and there isn't really a slow descent. That is actually interesting. There's no—I mean, there's a descent, but it seems to happen really fast. Like they get to horrible stuff happening pretty fast in the novel, um, and and there's no sort of there's no way to sort of slowly get into the character's mindset as they descend into madness. It's just. We're living in the high-rise, we've decided we're going to live in the high-rise, oops, we're eating each other. You know, like it, it gets there almost right away. And I think that might be part of the aspect of they've stopped thinking about the future, they've stopped thinking about the past, it's all compressed into one moment for them, essentially.
1: Oh yeah, of course. No, I think it's very. I, I think he's less interested. Ballard isn't particularly interested because again, it's a, a uh, that sort of descent is a narrative function. A descent creates suspense. You create tension, and oh, are these people going to escape? Is this going to swallow them up? It's like in a in a haunted house story. Part of the terror comes from oh, how are they going to escape, or how like the gradual discovery of signs, and oh, they we're we'll just dismissed this is. But this is a he's less interested in characters who are innocents who are have this horror put upon them as he is in describing people who are sort of primed and ready for any sort of this sort of situation to take to a point where they kind of create it themselves. Um, right. Like, like there are, yes, the high rise itself brings us about, and then the high rise itself, there are problems with the high rise. It's not a, it's not a whole, it's not a, a healthy plate, healthy environment for people to exist in, but there's also the sense of people in involved, people in the place who really love like rushing towards this this dagger this destruction of their characters so that we it's more interested in seeing how those characters implode and how and how they they sort of change and shift once they get to the sort of base selves that they they are such in a hurry to embrace that i find Mm -hmm. that's really um it's really cool because it it has larger implications outside of the book itself like um i am a person who traditionally likes horror novels where there's a sense of there's a sense of like a a safe happy space that gets Torn apart, but then the status quo returns, blah, blah, blah. Because I just like that sort of escapism. Whereas this has more of a sense of this is this is a situation that's that's deeply fed up, and even if this high rise, high rise hadn't existed, these core problems would still be there. Um and and I think he's much more interested in seeing this he's not interested in sort of giving you the escape of of uh of tension or this is like there's tension throughout, but like, oh god, what horrible thing is going to happen next. But it's not tension about can these people save themselves because you really don't it almost gives you that sense of like when you reread a book and you know you already know the bad things are going to happen. You're you're sort of just charting them out, um, right? And that's that's yeah, that feels very intentional to me, and it feels very much like it, it paints a picture of humanity in a much more cynical sort of like uncomfortable way than something more traditional would have.
0: Yeah. Well, again, it it I think it, it, it as we say, it's it is made very explicit at the beginning that Lang. Uh, literally chose to go there because he wanted to get away from people and and rela- he, he explicitly says, I want to get away from human relationships. Uh, you know, to an extent we can extend that to everyone in the building and assume that they all had the same attitude. So, it is, uh, if you want to, you know, something to be less, you know, cynical about human nature coming out of this novel, you could argue that, well, these are the kind of people that the High Rise attracted in the first mm. place, and that's what it was able to you know that's how it was able to work on them um because there there's and as i said it i think it is very significant that everyone in the building is part of the then for england relatively new uh information or middle management subculture we talk about the class tensions but you know, as in, in Douglas Adams, of course, you know, they had the Arc A, Arc B, and Arc C of the Golga Frenchums, who, uh, you know, there was the middle managers on Arc B, and, and there was the, the great philosophers, and then the, the lower class people who did all the work on Arc C. Um, and arc B was considered useless, and these are arc B people on in the high rise, right? They're people who they're, they're people who work in media, and in fact, media is actually that's actually a significant point. Uh, Ballard uh, gave an interview uh, shortly after this for Vogue, I believe, uh, where he actually talked about uh, he 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 where he saw media going in the future, and he was actually pretty uncanny about predicting where you know Facebook and Instagram might be coming, where we'd all be personal filmmakers we'd all be personally developing our brand for the media and in the book he talks like in high rise he does talk about how all the people who are in uh the high rise are constantly like at one point they're all filming themselves. They're making movies of themselves, killing people and then watching it on a screening room. Um, they're trying to fill the air with noise because they can't bear the silence. Uh, I think that's actually a significant part as well, uh, that there's a media. Did you, did you notice that or am I you know crazy about that?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Both yeah. Wilder who's on the lower classes relative to everybody else. And um, I can't remember, but there was a TV announcers in the upper Upper yeah, classes. Uh, yeah. Who's the only yeah. person by the end
0: who's still going to work? Right. Yeah, and then even though, as I say, Lang talks about going to work at the end, but they, but yeah, and and even Lang is yeah, he's a doctor, but he's a teacher. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't necessarily go and do surgery or anything. He just. And he doesn't want to get out of the the role of teacher he's he's kind of been delaying getting into a private practice and developing his own uh, patience as he says uh, because I you know you've got to find your patience to develop a private practice and that I think that's that's sort of a metaphor for how he doesn't want to relate to humanity even going into the story uh, he wants to just you know occupy his own space and and be live completely the life of the mind and not have a relationship to to uh to humanity yeah and, and then
1: it, go ahead oh I was just gonna say that uh I forget which character I think it's I think it's royal but it might I think it's royal um observes that he's the the most him or wilder observes that Lang is the most the most suited to living in the in the high rise he is the most perfect emblem of what the high rise represents and he, hmm. I mean he's the only one of the two that's he's the only one of the three main characters who survives um right. and, by to the end of the book I don't think he's gonna be around for much longer. But no. that, that no. sort of there's a combination in him of sort of passivity passivity and and sort of witness and yet also not getting involved or not like trying to stop anything. Not he he participates, but he's also in a remove that it's yeah. Anyway, sorry, go on, please go on. Uh,
2: one thing I really and we've discussed this already, but I like how sort of non literal this novel is. Mm-hmm. Like um you can't just I mean a, People are acting ridiculous in it. Like I'd hate to see like what somebody like Cinema Sins or something would, would <laughs> take a, away of this novel. Why don't they just leave yeah. the high rise? This movie makes or, this yeah. book makes no sense. Um,
0: yeah. Well, I almost want somebody like a Cinema Sins people to read this book because this book basically dares you to say. Just try and attack the plausibility of this. He, Because he doesn't just say, oh, and nobody ever left. Like, he doesn't just ignore the fact that nobody leaves. He actively, Ballard, uh, that is, actively yeah. confronts it repeatedly about how they're always trying, they're always talking about leaving and thinking about leaving, or, you know... Or, or, rather, they're not thinking about leaving, or they're just yeah. They're as you as as you say, Royal talked about leaving and thought about maybe we should go somewhere, and then as Zach says, he didn't. He just decided not to. Like they confront you with that repeatedly throughout the book, so you can't just sort of say, "Oh, the author never thought of it," because obviously he did. And it is making sure you 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 think of this in terms of yeah, these are not thinking like you or I. These people have either been you know, converted into some new form of humanity that thinks differently, or it's this purely uh, you know, surrealist novel that you're, where you're not supposed to ask of these kinds of questions. Um the the novel Ballard wrote right before this was called um uh Concrete Island. Oh and it was oh, about
1: I read a, that, that one. Oh, my oh God. really? That's like the only other ballad that I... I, re, I read that like a few months ago. That's like the only other ballad that I, that I know I've read. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah, I can see oh. that if you'd like. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please tell us. Go oh, ahead. well, it's, it's a very simple premise. It's about a, a high-power executive who gets in a car accident on the highway coming home, and he gets stranded in this um, small space of land that's sort of uh, it's surrounded on all sides by expressway highway and he gets stuck there and he can't get like he keeps trying to communicate or trying to reach other people outside but no he can't he can't actually reach out he's sort of stranded there and it's about him trying to sort of survive and it's um, sort of developing a relationship with a couple other people he finds in the in the area um, it definitely has that feeling of of sort of a uh, man sort of being regressing to his primal self in the same way, sort of Wilder does, um, and it's it, but it's on a much smaller scale, and it's a, it's a bit more of a suspense one, and in, in that um, he doesn't, there is no way for him to to escape. Like it's not a situation where he can leave at any time. It is trying to get kind of like a stranded man, like a, a shipwreck thing. But the, the 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 joke is that he's in the middle of the city. It's just he can't actually reach anywhere. Right. Um, well,
0: how does that work? How does he? How is he not able to? It's, you're talking about
1: literally a concrete island in the middle of a highway, correct? Yeah, there's. It's not uh, the there's like there's actual like like land. Like he's actually has grass and stuff. It's it's that I the one of the one of the tricks about reading the book is that I I kept having to I couldn't really visualize. Um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not great at that sort of visualization. Is that it, Ballard tries to describe it, but you just have to sort of accept the idea that that there's no clear pl- There's no easy place for him to cross. And by the time he, he able like he's kind of falls down, there's like an embankment embankments on every side. And by the time he gets up, um there's no easy way for him to signal other cars because they're all going so fast. Um, and Mm. no one, no one stops for him. Um, and after a while he starts to look like a crazy homeless person. And so no one really stops for him. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very much like this idea of traditional shipwreck narratives have you isolated and cast apart from humanity. Whereas this one, he's in what should be the middle of humanity, but he is cast apart and isolated from the rest of humanity. Um, and like. It, it's it's it was fascinating. It wasn't. Um, I think I preferred High Rise a little bit, but it was a very interesting idea and the way he sort of explores the premise. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought it pretty satisfying. Um, yeah. Well, you can see that sounds like it would absolutely be a companion piece to High Rise because the the themes are
0: very clearly the same thing: the alienation of being in the middle of the city and everything like that um, in an urban environment. Yeah, and, and also
1: being... he, he comes to he comes to sort of embrace. I don't. I can't. I can't explicitly remember the ending, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't actually leave. Um, Mm. It's one of those ones where he comes to embrace what the space means, and even though he keeps thinking of plotting of ways to leave, he just becomes more and more settled in his routine, and sort of accepting that this is his new home, in much the same way the characters in the high-rise do.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can see, yeah, Ballard was definitely thinking... uh, Gilligan's Gilligan's, uh, Concrete Island? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It sounds like um, that is that is the whole uh, the whole idea.
2: Uh, speaking of uh, uh, companion pieces, uh, there's a Doctor Who serial from uh, '87 that's mm-hmm. uh, obviously very inspired by High Rise. Um, uh, like it's pretty much agreed upon that it's based on High Rise, but it's more of a sort of comedic tone. Right. And, uh, it's called not as it, it violent, called? but uh, it's called Paradise Towers, and. Um, But it's about uh, a close – it's a closed-off tower, and uh, it's like a generation later in what happened to – so there's different clans that set up uh, some girl gangs uh, called the Kangs and uh, a group of old ladies who uh, lure people in and eat them. Mm. Uh, So it (laughs) does have – it's like a dark comedy, but yeah. Yeah, that I, I definitely... think those uh, were based on arsenic and old lace to some degree. I'm not sure, though. Oh, okay.
0: Well, I, and I mentioned uh, Judge Dredd, which I can't help thinking uh, High Rise might have had a bit of an impact. It's, you know, I'm not necessarily saying the people who created Judge Dredd went, oh, yeah, High Rise. But I think that this probably... Oh, definitely the movie.
2: Uh, yeah. The recent movie, uh, *Dread*. Yeah. Um, like, there's a scene where there's a shootout in the middle of a classroom that's in the building, so it's sort of yeah, as yeah. that. Well, that interior was how, world sort of thing.
0: Yeah, that that was how dread the comic was conceived that there were these like it's a mega city and the buildings were literally made up of small cities of people living in mm-hmm. these gigantic apartment type buildings. Uh and and that probably I think that this novel probably helped popularize that idea I'm gonna say in England, if not everywhere, um, just of you know a self-contained city in an apartment building. Uh, I remember somebody uh, talking about um, uh, the UK version of reading comic books in uh, when you re- read an American comic book. If you're an American or an, or Canadian, you read an American comic book with Superman flying over metropolis or whatever It's just well, there's Superman in in the skyscraper. Uh, you know, in the '60s, you're reading this and just going, "Oh yeah, he's in a he's in a big city with with high-rise buildings." In England, high-rise buildings are a fairly new phenomenon. So Superman's it, you know, and or Batman's it uh, environment is this crazy sci-fi setting to them, even if it's not intended to be. <laughs> so that was kind of a new idea, I think, to the to the to the British, and that. I think that was the thing you're you're seeing in this novel, where it was starting to impact people that hey, we can build these giant gleaming towers too. That can be the future, right? So it came a little later to the UK than it did to the, to America, possibly. Um, I think uh, I think we're uh, hitting the end here. Do, uh,
1: Zach, did you have any final thoughts? I well, uh, it's it's a good book. <laughs> I can't hear anything. <laughs> now. Um, no, it's uh, it's a it's a it's, it was a very enjoyable, very unsettling read, um, and I think the. The uh, the sort of way it, it sort of points to the way human beings will adopt systems because they want purposes and purpose in their life and meaning, even if that meaning is essentially harm, is ultimately harmful and destructive, is very telling and very still like. It, it's it's unsettling how relevant this book still feels. It's kind of like mm-hmm. kind of a cliche to say that now. It's like everything is relevant all the time, but it, it doesn't like the things that you were describing about how at the time that Ballard wrote this, high rises were a new phenomenon and it, it, it still feels incredibly prescient and it still feels like a book that could have you could have write you could have written something like this today and it would still feel more or less the same um mm-hmm. because you could even argue that it's like a metaphor for all sorts of things, but just that the central core, it's so pure, such a, a pure and and really well done exploration of this singular idea. And I always enjoy, I always enjoy reading books like that.
0: Yeah. I think I, I, it's almost so prescient that, that you don't notice how prescient it is because it, you just go, Oh yeah, high rise buildings. You know, that's something we take for granted now, essentially. Whereas, you know, he was in some degree, predicting what things were going to be i mean in an absurd way but he was he was looking at the the shape of the urban landscape and the and the futuristic civilizational landscape and the capitalist landscape in ways that were actually prescient so that we now take them for granted uh anyway uh so i think we're gonna wrap it up so uh, one last time zach if you want to plug your uh, patreon uh just uh just
1: talk about it for us there I'm uh, I'm continuing. I'm uh, I kind of made my bones at the AV Club reviewing um, the various Star Trek shows. Um, so I'm continuing that um, with Star Trek Voyager, which is not the most beloved Star Trek series, but um, I'm having <laughs> fun with it. Um, and uh, it's over on Patreon. Just uh, I think it's just Patreon.com backslash Zach Hamlin. Um, and uh, right now we're still in the first season. We're kind of about halfway through, and kind of looking at each episode. It's like an episode a week. Um, it's for subscribers only, but I'm hoping to expand and doing some other stuff down the line when i have more time um and other than that yeah um I, I have a and if you really like the x-files um there's a there's a book out there that i co-wrote with uh, emily vanderwerf called uh, monster of the week and it's a complete critical guide to the x-files and we cover the two of us go back and forth and cover every episode of the x-files and all the movies um and it's actually coming in pa- coming out in paperback in september uh it's already out in hardcover but if you'd like to wait for the paperback which will be cheaper and totally cool um the paperback comes out in a few weeks, so keep an eye out for that. Thank you. Great,
0: thanks, Zach, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, as always, Phil, you want to uh, you want to plug your thing? As always.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Uh, I have a web comic called The Apex Society. Um, you can just search for that. It, it's probably not the first thing because I, I it's also the name of a Star Wars thing, and I didn't check first. But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that, there's also Apex yeah, Legends on, now so yeah bad bad But it's on Comixology. If you go to
1: comics yeah. yeah if you go it's to comicsology as, well, as well
2: or you can read it for free if you don't want to give me money. <laughs> but please don't. give me money.
0: Yes. Don't say that. Yes. Both Phil and I have a Patreon, have Patreons. You can if you contribute to either uh my or Phil Patreon, Phil's Patreon, you can listen to the show early, a week early. Um <clears throat> uh and uh, of course that's at uh, the links on the website as always we're on uh, never sleeps network slash uh, series slash what dash mad dash universe uh, so you can see all these, we'll have links to everything there if you go there and to this show um, and as always you can look up Fantastic Tales with a PH on Comicsology for my own stuff uh, because I also do comics so uh, uh, we also
2: have a uh, we also have a Tumblr and uh, Instagram, all mm-hmm. that stuff I just set up a Twitter account, we have like two followers but
0: Yes, yeah, that's right. We're on. That's right. What Mad Universe is now on Twitter. We have a What Mad Universe dedicated Twitter account that you could listen to. Um, so, uh, oh, go f- it's at uh, WMU Podcast. WMU Podcast is the Twitter guest. So, so follow that for more What Mad Universe news. Uh, so one one last time, thanks again to Zach for uh, coming on. We really love having you here. We always love having guests, so we appreciate it. Uh, as we sit down to a delicious flank of Alsatian we we bid you farewell. We are Adam Prosser resident of the lower levels philip rice resident of the middle levels and zach handlett resident of the penthouse the theme song was by jack fyrick who i wish would stop throwing bottles of sparkling wine down here and special guest goes out to uh, special thanks goes out to alex ross who's been trying desperately to get the elevators working again so till next time as we watch the lights go out in the building across the car park we welcome you into the new world